The Zelda series is going bigger and bigger at the moment, much to the dismay of a whole bunch of people, and not just in the ways you might instantly think of. Sure, the gap between Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom's map sizes are pretty staggering considering caves and the like, but this is actually a trend that has run rampant in the series for a really long time now. On a surface level, let's take a look at the 3D games, bearing in mind this data is coming from the website How Long To Beat. Ocarina of Time is 25 hours on a main story run through, Majora's Mask and Wind Waker are the same. Twilight Princess is actually the longest, with an average of 37 and a half hours, and Skyward Sword is also around the 30 hour mark, and the story is the most involved in the series. The stories of these games haven't always been better with each new iteration, but their focus has clearly been on trying to tell bigger stories. This isn't just a conversation of map size. To this day, we're still feeling the effect of the Zelda team trying to tell bigger stories. When was the last time we had a truly brand new traditional, or at least close to it, 2D Zelda game that didn't reuse an old world. It was Spirit Tracks, and Link Between Worlds offered more freedom in a Zelda game for a long, long time at the time it released. Breath of the Wild's story technically takes place over the course of an entire century, and Tears of the Kingdoms takes us back to the founding of an entirely new kingdom of Hyrule, an untold amount of time before the present. The problem, or potentially the benefit of trying to tell bigger stories, is that you might want to innovate in your gameplay too, which is exactly what the Zelda team has done, bringing the Zelda series to an insane amount of new enjoyers of the series. The way they did this was by making the games allow more and more freedom. A byproduct of this was genre that only dabbled in slightly with their past titles, giving you a wide open world and letting you explore any of it, with the one limitation being your stamina and the ocean and land surrounding Hyrule. But in this constant attempt to keep going bigger, bigger, more free, will they run into problems and I want to delve into being the future for the Zelda series, because at one point it was the entire idea of a Zelda game and the future of the series in itself in the developer's eyes, and as if the series itself is part of an Ouroboros, we've come full circle to that seemingly being the future of the series for the developers once again. And while I am going to be taking an approach that is against the idea of more and more freedom in future titles today, I want to put out there that I do love the last two games. I've even done an entire video defending Tears of the Kingdom. But you can't have the good without the bad. I'd appreciate it if you took the time out of the day to sub if you enjoyed the video. Cheers. First up, why would freedom be the future? First, and by far most obviously, the sales numbers. Sheesh, those numbers are kind of crazy. Two games with this new take and two games that have sold over 20 million units, those are not the kinds of numbers you disregard, and the fact that it's happened twice means it's likely not an anomaly. If the Switch 2 comes out this year, 60 million units by the time the next big 3D Zelda comes out and that game is another open world adventure, I would not be surprised if it sells another 20 million units within a year, or maybe over a few years as a slower burner. Zelda was a big franchise for Nintendo before the Switch's launch, but it's possibly the single most important single player franchise for the company at this moment in time, and I'm sure they'll pour obscene amounts of money by Nintendo standards for each subsequent release from this point on, as long as returns stay in the ballpark of being so high that you'd be high and stupid to let this franchise flounder. So yeah, to the surprise of no one freedom is likely the foreseeable future at the very least. Returns are high, and while there's still demand and return on that demand, I'm sure we won't see a drastic shift anytime soon. But rather than an objective look at freedom clearly being the future of the series at the moment, I'd rather take a much more subjective route of whether freedom should be the future. The Zelda series has been around for longer than I've been alive, and for the vast majority of my life it was going in a direction that I really enjoyed, but coincidentally the only reason why I ended up really connecting with the series was as soon as they shifted away from that formula that I still liked before. 
Some of that is just me growing up, and some of it is the handheld nature of the Switch, making the game more accessible than any Zelda title in the past. So now, I want to talk about the idea that more is better, because it's a complicated statement. In some cases, more is absolutely better. If Tears of the Kingdom didn't add caves into Breath of the Wild's world, the game would have been objectively worse for it. Same thing for the new side adventures, which house more of the best side quests in the series. Even for the new additions, like the Skylands, more is technically better, right? But more in this case has some nuance. More Skylands that are the same is more but more done in the wrong way. If Tears of the Kingdom had more lore up in the sky, more thought to the design in the sky, more things to do in the sky, it would have been better received, straight up. In the case of freedom, I agree somewhat with the idea that more freedom isn't better, hence the thumbnail. And that's a hard thing to admit to myself in a way, since I wasn't around in the later years of traditional 3D Zelda. Freedom honestly isn't my preferred method of game design, because it leaves less room for design, and that's the strange thing. Before Breath of the Wild, what did the Zelda developers excel at more than anything else? If you'd have asked anyone with a pulse and an understanding in game development at that time what the best part of past Zelda games have been, it's the design. It's the fact that you could boot up any of the traditional 3D games and it's intuitive. It's not intuitive because you're free to do what you want, it's intuitive because the devs are lightly pushing you in a certain direction, but in the area you're given you can do whatever you want, and sometimes the cryptic nature of traditional Zelda games are one of the more interesting parts of it. You don't always want everything to be a straight shot to where you're going, otherwise you risk becoming too linear. A trap that Skyward Sword ended up falling into, and as much as I absolutely love both Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, as I've stated, I think that's a big reason why they're always seen as good games, but not great Zelda games. There is a standard of design that the previous titles always met, especially in dungeons which have always been the life of the series since the NES. Funnily enough, whilst writing this video, I came across a tweet that I probably won't be able to find and stick on screen, but it said that they had completely bypassed the part of Breath of the Wild's tutorial that was used to teach them how to cook food. And it's easy to say it's the player's fault for not being thorough enough in, you know, exploring around the area, and potentially running- But when your entire focus is on freedom, the nuance in design is lost. There are those people that will spend half of the game confused on certain elements. None of this is to say that Breath of the Wild's design as a video game was bad, far from it. In fact, when it comes to cooking, it's pretty self-explanatory in the gaming space. As long as you know that you can hold your items, you can find various cooking pots around the world, and if there's a fire, you can cook. Because of other things around us in the real world, it's easy to know what you're doing with a cooking pot. Usually things need to be hot so they can cook. But the small pitfall of a lot of Breath of the Wild's design was that it didn't take into consideration that it was the 24th game in a long-running series. To keep using the cooking example, that person didn't know they could cook, not because they're stupid and they don't understand how to cook in real life, it's because they never had to do such a thing so literally in a Zelda game. But enough about cooking, I've voiced as a whole, a whole lot in the past. A lot of my problem was with the theming. I think the theming of the beasts meant that the design was hindered somewhat. It was more complex by having the beast be able to be controlled to do certain things, but when it came down to it, puzzles usually came down to use your menu or use a rune that you used in all the other dungeons. I think the Zelda team do concede that the more intricate design of the past is more important in certain areas in Tears of the Kingdom. Within the context of Breath of the Wild, the Great Plateau was a good tutorial. You might miss some of the bits you'd traditionally expect of a Zelda tutorial as we've mentioned, and it introduced you to the freedom of that world. 
The Grey Skylands are a different beast. The Grey Plateau and the Skylands can easily be compared at a glance, but you're very likely to go through the Great Skylands in a much more linear fashion than the Great Plateau. Now I'm guessing the first time through the game, a majority of us took the easy route up the Great Skylands, head to the Ultrahand Shrine, then the Fuse Shrine, capped off by the Ascend Shrine. I think there's a way to the Ascend Shrine slightly earlier on, since there's a big walkway up from the side of the Temple of Time purposes, I'd say you likely went the same way as me. The tutorials in Tears of the Kingdom, despite being a sequel, were much more in your face. You can spins, chopping down trees, cooking, you see them mining, they explain the use of Zonai charges, crystallized charges, and pretty much everything else you'll be doing in the depths. There's a fight with the Flux Construct that you can skip if you want to, but even that fight is less of a tutorial and is just your first mini-boss fight. The Great Skylands were more intricately designed for the player to go through at their own pace, but with the intention of them learning everything they possibly can. Similarly, when it came to my issues with the Divine Beast, they didn't completely clear it up. Having to find a set amount of places within each dungeon to finish the boss isn't exactly the most well-designed idea in the world, but the actual design of some of these dungeons were great. The one that has the least favourable reputation is the Water Temple, and I'd suggest the isolated puzzles in that temple aren't as good as any of the other dungeons, and it has the least distinct theme. Lightning Temple has the section at the beginning that's done in a linear fashion, and that section bumps it up tenfold in my opinion, because it was designed to be done in a certain way. Wind Temple has the most distinct theme and some of the most well-designed puzzles. Fire Temple is often criticised for being too easily cheesed, meaning you can climb around at any time and that made it way easier, which is tough, because if climbing was limited, the design of the Fire Temple would actually be really good. Without climbing, the Fire Temple might be the most traditional of any of the Wild Era dungeons, which is insane. It's an example of how freedom actually harmed good design in one way. My point here is that in a lot of ways, Tears of the Kingdom was butting heads with the idea that everything can be done in different ways, much more than Breath of the Wild was. I think the developers can see the fact that design needs to play a vital role in these games. All of this being said, I don't want to just be labelled a freedom hater, because I'm really not. Tears of the Kingdom is in my top two Zelda games, and Breath of the Wild has dipped in the last year, but it's still pretty far up there. As an example of great design in these games, some of the shrines are near perfection. Do I wish they had more elements like keys and stuff so they could be slightly more linear in some cases? Definitely. But it's not like I don't have my fair share of problems with traditional dungeons too. While I hope shrines are done differently if they keep barreling on ahead with the idea that freedom is better, I am happy that the shrines are designed this way at this moment in time. Outside of shrines, dungeons and tutorials, we also have to look at stories. While I think the lore of these two games' worlds are really great, and I'd be happy for that aspect of them to keep being improved upon in future entries, I really think that the stories themselves kind of weak, but for two completely different reasons. Breath of the Wild story is much more fit for the idea of the memory system. It's more solid overall, but has some small things that just make it a bit too generic in my eyes. Tears of the Kingdoms is actually really great on its own, but if you take into account that it's a sequel, things start to get a bit muddied up. Further muddying up the waters is the fact that Tears of the Kingdom's story is being told in the memory system. My biggest problem with this isn't that the game's story is weird being told out of order at times, despite that also being a problem. My biggest problem is actually that the game gives you an order for the cutscenes, and you know, I have personal experience of this. The first three cutscenes I found, I had no clue there was an order to these memories. It was only when I saw people talking about it online that I realised there was an order to these cutscenes that is given in-game, and I've seen countless numbers of people say that the story was ruined for them by watching the memories out of order on their first time playing. 
As we discussed earlier with the cooking example, this is not the fault of the player, this is the fault of the design. If you're going to make a system or use a system where you can find a cutscene at any time as long as you're in an area, why would you put yourselves in a position where you have to give the player an order for people to not ruin the story for themselves? Once again, another aspect where Tears of the Kingdom is butting heads with the idea of being truly free. Is freedom cool? Yes, it's one of the main reasons why I love the last two games, and it's also a reason why they're replayable. Speaking of, I've seen a load of people suggest that Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom are less replayable because they're open world, and I wholly disagree. I do find the last two titles less replayable, like the action of booting up a brand new game is almost scary to me. But it's not because you're open to do what you want to do, it's because these are such massive undertakings. Rebooting a traditional Zelda game would have meant you're playing through 40 hours of game at absolute most. Rebooting Tears of the Kingdom or Breath of the Wild can mean reinvesting hundreds of hours of your life into a game you've possibly already complete. And in fact, because I like the dungeon design more in Tears of the Kingdom, I already find myself wanting to replay it quite frequently. There are many positives to freedom, but because the series we're talking about here is the Zelda series, one that is renowned for its design feats, it can be hard to accept that we may be going further and further in the driven future for the series. I still love these games, and if you're watching this, you probably do to some extent too. More than anything, I am really interested to see what they do with a brand new game that's not shackled down to being a sequel. At this moment, the Zelda series is kind of at a crossroads, and I personally hope they keep leaning more into the linear path. So to answer the question, should freedom be the future of the Zelda series, despite everything I've said today, I still want to say yes. I've given a lot of reasons again. Freedom as a concept is so strong, and if certain aspects of Tears of the Kingdom in particular were more well designed, I think we'd finally have the best of both worlds. A nicer blend of both freedom and the linear elements that we've all come to love. It's also worth noting here that a lot of people might say that the future of the series probably will just be completely free with no real blend, just because of recent interviews and stuff like that where the developers have been saying that they really want to focus on freedom and stuff. Developers have to say that the new thing is the best thing, that's just a fact. Whatever they say might not actually be true, it's just that the game is the newest thing, and they've got to hype up the newest thing. These are the patrons and members of this channel. Sumji and Thomas Drury Wong are even cooler for being my top paying patron people. Please subscribe for more weekly Zelda content, and I'll see you soon.